<laughs> Have you decided what your talent is going to be again? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna sing and dance to New York, New York. I just fell in love with the Big Apple last summer when I was visiting my brother Peter there. He followed his dream all the way to New York. Mm. <laughs> Here's Peter as Liza. <laughs> Here's him as Madonna. As Barbara. Welcome to part two of our Drop Dead Gorgeous episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So what are you missing out on, non-patrons? Well, if you were to join on the ground level, the dollar tier, the Travoltis, you get access to the cutting room floor segments. Anything that's cool, that's funny, that's interesting, that doesn't make it to the main episodes because we just needed to cut for time, or sometimes it was just not too related to the topic to the movie that we're talking about. Well, all that makes it to the patron channel when the current room floor segments. You also get access to our bonus episodes. We get at least once every month. This month, we're doing two. We have the Christmas episode, which will be about Black Christmas, the 2006 version. Uh, last year, we did the original. And we're also going to have a bonus episode on the movie Harold and Maude, also demanded slash requested by patron Jamie Russell. That mm. one, see that the Harold and Maude pick. That is more what I think of when I think of things that Jamie would make us watch. Harold Maude, a classic, a well-revered movie, not quite drop dead gorgeous. It, it, we've recorded that one already, so I kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> now, if you want more, you can have more. You just kick it up to the three dollar tier, the Widonies. And then you have access to our pre-recording notes. You have access to our quick video reviews. Uh, this month, Alex and I are going to be doing our final dual QVR of the season. And that is going to be on the movie Ravenous, requested by John Amenta from The Pint. Alex, that's, I think, the only December thing that we haven't gotten to yet. Pretty impressed mm -hmm. with ourselves, because December was a pretty full slate. And we've been making our way through it. So... Pretty excited to watch that. You'll get to see our faces as we discuss the beginning, the middle, and the end of that uh, ravenous journey. Uh, and then, of course, you also get Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to, that we're thinking about. Alex, uh, I think we're also doing a, a duel after hours this, this time around. Yes, we are, Julio, as we're not going to see it together, but we're both going to see The Iron Claw tomorrow night. Uh, it's first night it's showing in Austin, to my knowledge. The story of the life and times of the vaunted and famous slash infamous professional wrestling family, the Von Erics. And uh, I am very excited about this. And I think my enthusiasm has um, rubbed off on you a bit. <laughs> and... Uh, also things just worked out for your schedule personally that you're going to be able to go check it out so we will be talking about Zac Efron's possible Oscar contention and as I've instructed Julio to go in this fairly blind as it's a pretty ridiculous story I'm just very excited for this and look forward to comparing notes both uh, from a, an analytical standpoint of the movie and also what 
uh, Julio's questions are for me <laughs> as pertains to real life versus fiction. All right. Well, that is going to be your after hours. Alex and I watching the same movie pretty much at the same time, but in separate movie theaters. It will be quite an experience. <laughs> um, and then if you want to join the elite group that tells us what to do on the show, those people throwing picks at us for the main feed and for the patron feed, for the quick video reviews, that's when you join the $5 and $10 tiers, the Embrys and the Gads. Just go to patreon.com slash Prime, look at what we have to offer and see how you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. and $10 are respective tiers. Like Julio said, $1 gets you in on the ground floor, get access to everything we've done, dating all the way back to our first patron-exclusive episode where we discuss blue is the warmest color. So that means our Roxena mega-series, our Lindsay Lohan retrospective, and um, our current tier of goals are out there that once we cross those thresholds, there'll be new patron exclusives coming y'all's way. So if you've been on the fence about throwing a dollar our way, now is definitely the time to do so. Uh, To all those who already have dropped a dollar or more in the uh, proverbial tip jar over on Patreon, we love y'all dearly and uh, appreciate the support y'all continue to give us. So if you want to know what it feels like to get that warm thank you, you know what to do. Go over to patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Throw us a dollar. You won't regret it. And remember, all patrons on all levels also have access to the chat if you have the patron app. That's right. If you were in the chat tonight, you would have seen the picture I posted of the DVD of Drop Dead Gorgeous that Alex bought for this very special recording of the contrarians. So that that is one I'll eventually be like, hey Julio, I paid for that, give it back. Whereas you ha- <laughs> if you if if you haven't noticed, you've had uh, my copy of uh, The Rundown for, or is it called The Rundown? What's it called? No, The Rundown's The Rock. What's, fuck, what's the John Cena movie we hated? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The Reunion, is that it? The Reunion, yes. I, I have not asked for my copy of that back ever since I lent it to you several years ago. <laughs> the Contrarian's physical collection, the Contrarian's physical media collection, it's split between our two households, and I think the copies can move freely one way or the other. Uh, so I have to give you your Christmas present. So when I do, I will bring the reunion and I will bring Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh, you can keep the reunion. Um. Uh, no, I insist, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I need Stella now. The family's steaming like a cow pie in July. Said she doesn't look nothing like the picture they gave you. Sorry, I just thought she might not want to meet her maker looking like a cheap whore. So that's an interesting jumping off point, though, because the DVD I ended up getting on Amazon and the one that Julio watched as well is one of those uh, that is a Warner Brothers archive because it was originally a New Line cinema film. But it's one of those vault movies that's made on demand because as i told julio the disc isn't even like a real it's like a dvdr um and the insert is very cheap like it's blurry it's like an official release but that's what i remember dancer the dark's one of those also um the price on this wasn't too bad usually those archive collections will run you a little bit more but i was reading about it's streaming it didn't stream anywhere until July of 2019. And it looks like it's not had many streaming homes, at least in America since, which is very interesting. I don't know if there is some sort of like dispute about the who owns what permissions and whatnot, but it was released on Hulu 
in July of 2019 to coincide with the 20th anniversary of its release. And America said, no, thank you. So they took it down. Which was, quote, met with a host of celebrity tweets, particularly among women and queer people who have long recognized it as a cult classic. We'll get back to that passage from its Wikipedia page here in just a moment. Drop Dead Gorgeous fucking rules. I I guess a moderately interesting personal testimony about this movie. Uh, But I guess I want to ask Julio just right off the bat, is this different than what you thought it was? Well, no, once the movie started, the so what I thought it was, I mean, I, I really didn't have many expectations. I didn't even know it was a mockumentary, except that, you know, until you said it on our last recording, I think. So I expected it to be a comedy and I expected it to be about beauty pageants, but I really couldn't have told you anything else as far as expectations go. But then the movie started, and I think it set the tone pretty early on. And from then on, I was not shocked, I guess, by anything that happened. I mean, not in the way that, oh, my God, I can't believe that this this movie tricked me, right? Like, I, I, it was going to be this thing, and it ended up being something else. No, I think that this was exactly the movie they told me was going to be uh, within its first five minutes. So I guess the answer is yes, it was what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I hadn't even seen a trailer. The poster doesn't really tell you much. Even the Run Tomatoes score is kind of like on the divisive side. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was not... Was uh, the, the comedy a bit darker than you were anticipating? No. No, because that beginning, I mean, kind of already tells you. I mean, you kind of get used to it, right? The I think that... By the time that they show the the previous winner in the hospital in the eating disorder wing, mm-hmm. I was like, "All right, that's it's that kind of movie. It's gonna go there." And that's within the first what ten, fifteen minutes. Even before that, you see uh, when Kirsten Dunst is tap dancing around the corpses at the morgue. Yeah, I mean that is pretty telling of uh, what the movie's sense of humor is. <laughs> so it was. I didn't. I mean, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying that I, I, I kind of went in with that, with with no expectations, and that. Okay, worked. that makes more sense. For some reason, the way you kind of talked about it previously, I had the impression you might have thought it was just something different than it was, like a, a teen comedy or like a teen romance or something like that. But uh, so it sounds like you didn't really know what it was and just kind of saw it on the surface level. Uh, that kind of leads to my next question: Have you ever had any? Prior to getting the patron demand, is it a movie you've heard other people talk about? Because I know that's how I discovered this movie was someone who, like, it was one of their favorite movies. Have you ever heard someone talk very passionately about Drop Dead Gorgeous? No. I What I remember about it is that I might have caught a segment about it uh, on one of those entertainment shows they used to have. Mm-hmm. Because I remembered... I mean, I hadn't thought about it until I, I was watching the movie and it came up. But I, the, the scene where Kirsten Dunst and Denise Richards almost get into a fistfight, I remember yeah. that, seeing that as people were talking about the movie on you know, some news show or something. So I knew there was a movie that existed that was called Drop Dead Gorgeous. And I think in the back of my head, if you'd asked me, I would have said, I think maybe Kirsten Dunst is in it. Uh, mm. But that was it. I mean, man, I was I was very much back row blind almost for for this movie. So when it came out, I was a, a child, and I had no real capacity for understanding dark comedy. But specifically, 
more of what I remember was the marketing for it and like the trailers and the TV spots made it seem to me like it was, for lack of a better term, a girly movie, the way I would have thought it at that point in time. <laughs> I mean, it's very like, girly. Uh, well, I mean, literally, <laughs> yes, but it's not. And what I mean by that, and you know, for things that would have been contemporary to that, never been kissed as an example. We've done that movie before. I enjoy that movie. But when I was 12 or 13, I, I don't, you know, that's the furthest thing away from what I want. And also, like, um, what was that Freddie Prince Jr. movie from 99? She's all that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just thinking of movies from that time period that I would have been like, nah, man, I want to watch The Matrix or I have, what What else would it <laughs> Phantom Menace? <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where my focus is going. So I remember as a child, not I had the complete wrong idea of what that was. And even still, even if I watched this movie when I was 12, it would have all like, I would have been like, I don't. It would be beyond my ability to comprehend and, you know, as from a storytelling and like a comedic standpoint, it is fitting. It's the same year's election. I do think they're different movies, but they both have very similar, dry, dark tones to them. And as we know, I love election and I do love this movie, but it wasn't until I dated this girl in college who I was just hanging out at her apartment one day and we we're like, let's watch a movie. And she's like, have you seen Drop Dead Gorgeous? So I was like, no, she's like, you've never seen Drop Dead Gorgeous. And I was like, isn't like a girly movie? She's like, oh my God, you have to watch this. And I I just remember like me and her sitting, I think we were sitting on her bed and just like laughing hysterically. And I was just like, oh my God, how have I never seen this? And specifically her like pointing at the screen for me to pay attention at that part with Brittany Murphy at the end. And that I remember losing it then. And that's still, that's like an all-time comedy moment for me where Brittany Murphy, her dad's accosting her for dropping out of the pageant and, mentions her brother peter who had been mentioned all throughout the movie by Brittany murphy about and it's clear he's you know a drag queen in new york city and her dad tells her well you know peter wouldn't have done this and she's just had enough and she goes yeah well you know what dad peter's gay <laughs> gay and just screams <laughs> it at him it's so good you know what dad you know what peter's gay But I remember since watching that with my college girlfriend at that point, I had a completely renewed idea of it. And it's a movie I've praised when it comes up since, like if it comes up in any circles and someone's ever on the fence about, you know, watching it or they haven't seen it, I wholeheartedly endorse it. And shockingly, it was even funnier than I remembered watching it today. All right. Let's start the fresh quotes with uh, somebody we know. At least I know. Uh, Trace Thurman from the Horror Queers podcast says, acerbic and hilariously un-PC, Drop Dead Gorgeous stands the test of time as one of the best comedies ever made. One of the best comedies ever made. Alex, I know you like it, but would you go that far? Man, that's a big one. I don't know about that. Trace, I've met you. I've, I've known you since before you had a podcast. You seem like a sensible guy. Is this too much? <laughs> Are you letting... It's not, it's, it's not Wayne's World 2. <laughs> Next, Mark Halverson from Sacramento News and Review says, Good taste may be on vacation, but big laughs are out in full force. Uh, is this movie tasteless, Alex? No. It's just not for everybody. Because like I said, it's consistent in its tone and it's very consistent in its pulling no punches. There's not you know, the absurdity of 
some of the offensive language they use, but then it tries to take the moral high ground at some point about something else. Or, you know, it's also not a movie that what's it? Okay. So original sin is just such a paint by numbers movie that, you know, that just recently comes to mind, but where it becomes tasteless is there's a completely unnecessary series of events that leads to one of the main characters being raped. And it, for a movie that, dumb it that's when it becomes tasteless with something like this it takes this cast of characters and puts in your face how dumb and ridiculous they all are and they stay that way throughout the duration of it without doing anything that completely betrays the whole tone or idea of the movie that is at hand well mark halverson uh gave it a positive review but he disagrees with you (laughs) he says good taste is on vacation I mean, that's fair. You can definitely say it's off color, but I don't think it's um, enough to be offensive, at least for me. Yeah, I I think that there's uh, there's many thin lines surrounding this this type of movie and this type of conversation about what's especially because those those lines move. And so we kind of have to remember (laughs) that this was 1999. And so there are some things that I think We've done it with with other movies, you know. We've raised a point. Like, if they were to remake that movie today, some things would probably be massaged a little bit, so they they're not as uh, shocking, you know, or or just kind of you said off color, right? Because mm-hmm. at some point, if it jolts you out of the movie, then it's not effective, unless that's what you're going for. But I don't think that this movie was looking to. Uh, to rattle you, for example, every time that uh, the R word is dropped. And so that kind of thing, is it good taste? Is it bad taste? Or is it just, you know, an out of date type of joke? That's kind of like what the discussion is. I think saying good taste and poor taste or bad taste, that, that makes it too easy. Good call. Next, Philip Wunsch from Dallas Morning News says, Beneath its mean spiritedness is a sharp clawed wit. Just to nicely counterbalance the, the reviewer that called it mean-spirited it in the, the previous segment. Uh, is it a mean movie? No. Yeah, I didn't think so either, even though it has a lot of targets and it hits them fairly regularly. Uh, if you think it's mean or if you feel that it's mean, it, it, it's probably with reason. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. If you think it's mean to somebody like uh, the Kirstie Alley character, well, it's because maybe somebody should be mean to her. Yeah. And we're going to close with Sandra Romani from City Search, who says, while Drop Dead Gorgeous is too long and uneven, Dunst's performance manages to sustain the film. Too long, man. Sandra, after my own heart there. (laughs) She's like, tight 80, please. (laughs) <laughs> within credits um, save this one for last because Kirsten Dunst uh, Alex I ended up squeezing uh, a quick listen of our Bachelorette episode oh, while shit. I was getting ready to record after I finished the movie because I didn't want to repeat myself and I couldn't remember how much we talked about Kirsten Dunst when we talked about Bachelorette and uh, the answer is very little <laughs> <laughs> we uh I'm pretty sure I was dialed in on Isla Fisher. Yep, and I was dialed in on uh Lizzie Kaplan. On Lizzie Kaplan. So we mentioned a couple of things about Kirsten Dunn's character and you know some funny moments she has and some 
some serious moments she has in that movie, but not we never talked about her as as an actress. And I imagine that we did back in the early days of the Contrarians when we talked about Elizabeth Town, because obviously, you know, we devoted more time to that movie and we went through the whole through the plot and and everything and she is basically half of that movie whereas in uh Bachelorette, you know that she's part of an ensemble and even here though she's a main character it's still she's surrounded by a lot of characters that they get a lot of attention to so all this to say is like i don't know if i've if we've ever talked about that that the career that kirsten dunst has and how mm-hmm. at least for me i always find that I have more blind spots in her filmography that I'm aware of. And like I'm constantly, whenever I find one, I am suddenly reminded of like, oh, that's right. She's made a lot of movies that I've never watched. And it's usually to uh to my detriment that I haven't seen them. You know what I mean? Like I've seen her her debut. I think everybody is aware of her role in interview with a vampire, even if they haven't seen the movie, you know that oh well she played the little vampire. And uh, that was mm-hmm. her breakout role. I always forget that she was in Jumanji. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. I know she is. Just, you know, in the previous segment, you brought it up. And I was like, oh, that's right. Uh, I always make the jump all the way to Wag the Dog. She has one She's also scene. in Little Women, which we've done. Yes, but that was, I watched that much later. You know, growing up. I saw an interview with the vampire, and then I saw her in Wag the Dog. And there is several years in between. And in Wag the Dog, she has one scene, and then she's gone from the movie. Never watched the Bring It On movies. I think she's only the first one, but I've never seen them. Yeah, I've never seen the Virgin Suicides. I've seen the Virgin Suicides fairly recently, within the last couple of years or so. But that's another one where I'm like, oh, it's a Kirsten Dunst movie. I haven't seen, I mean, speaking of Sofia Coppola, right? I haven't seen Marie Antoinette either. Uh, and she has one other movie that she did with... With Kirsten Dunst, I also haven't seen. Um, she was recently nominated for an Oscar. Was it last year? The Power of the Dog was one of the contenders. Either last year or the sure. year before last. But she she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Uh, of course. Have you seen the the Cat's Meow? The Bogdanovich. I have, and you will too if you haven't, Alex, because that's going to be part of our summer summer event. So prepare yourself. She was in. Um Eternal Sunshine? I don't remember her in that. Yes, she is uh, the assistant to uh, Tom Wilkinson. Right on. Yeah, she's. <laughs> you remember, it's Tom Wilkinson, Kirsten Dunst, Elijah Wood, and Mark Ruffalo are the, the four people in the lab that are erasing Jim Carrey's memories. Uh, I guess so, yeah. Uh, I mean, we've seen Spider-Man. How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. I have seen that, just because I remember it's a strange quartet in that movie uh, but you're right that she was in little women that's that's a big one and melancholia melancholia yeah that's i mean adult kirsten dunst there and she was i mean jumping to tv she was in fargo uh the third season or second season of fargo with a plum dog millionaire yeah they were they were great together hidden figures she's one of the characters in, in hidden figures you know it's funny because when we did the summer of winona i kind of made the that point of having that lineup that kind of showcased all the different types of movies that she had made with a writer that is, and there's your little women connection. You know, she had done period pieces. She had done sci-fi. She had done straight up Adam Sandler comedies. And, uh, 
not all actors do that, right? Like some actors just find like the type of movie that they want to do and, and that's what they make a career out of. And it's funny because I never thought of Kirsten Dunst as, as somebody that was more in the winner writer type of career, I guess, filmography, where they just kind of go all over the place. And I don't think that she's gone as far as science fiction. I guess you could say Eternal Sunshine is science fiction, but uh, I haven't seen her like fighting aliens or something. But still, it's just it just feels like she has this vast range of movies. And uh, I might have just scratched the surface, even though I've seen a lot of them. You know, like the ones that we're talking about, I've seen them. But anyway, a movie like this comes along and it just reminds me that she is really good and that I should endeavor to watch other movies that she's done because I like her work. I, I think she's really good in this movie. She may not be the most memorable character. You know, we can argue about who the MVP is, but I think she's definitely, I mean, because she's, she ends up being the protagonist. I mean, at, she's at the core and she carries the movie and uh, she's really funny, even though she's not as over the top as, a lot of the other characters and i guess you, you could just tell that you know there's somebody that can that can carry a movie and that's pretty cool i mean i think that if i was surprised not that i was surprised that kirsten dunst was great in drop the gorgeous but that was the thing that i was not expecting out of you know you asked me if anything surprised me or if this was what i was expecting i guess i was not expecting to come out of drop the gorgeous thinking oh yeah that's right i need to watch more kirsten dunst movies uh, and I don't know that that was a feeling that I had after Bachelorette, which I love Bachelorette. I mean, listen to our mm-hmm. conversation on our Patreon channel about it. I, I thought it was great. But I came out of that movie. My feeling coming out of the movie was like, that's right. See, that's another Kristen Dunst movie that I hadn't seen that I barely even knew that existed. And with this one, it was more like, that's right. Kristen Dunst is a great actress. I need to watch more of her movies. Oh, yeah. I, I just can't believe it. I'm Minnesota's American Team Princess. Our baby's going to nationals. Lincoln, Alabama, look out! I'm going to be on TV just like Diane Sawyer. She's great. I haven't made it a life's mission to like watch everything she's been in, but you know, it's uh, she's someone that every time she shows up, I'm excited. I remember the casting that because you know when the first Spider-Man came out would have been right around the time that I was like beginning to be aware of actors beyond you know just like oh Jim Carrey's funny. Uh, and I remember when she got cast as Mary Jane, I was very excited about that. It's like, it's the girl from Jumanji, but then at that point too, like bring it on and whatever had been in the years following up. I mean, yeah, she's an all time actress cause she somehow makes Claire likable in Elizabethtown, which the, the way that character's written, you should just want to like drive her off a cliff in a car. And by the end of it, you're like, all right. <laughs> and because, and that is solely because of her, portrayal of it a thousand other actresses could have done that and wouldn't have been the same and yeah bachelorette i think is a very interesting like her matured as a woman uh, but her comedic chops are still just tremendous i i still have never watched melancholia uh i know i should i mean you own it i i do i own a lot of movies i've never watched <laughs> but um she i think it was for that when it was there in the press tour leading in or after when they were at Cannes and Von Trier they had that press junket and he wouldn't stop talking about really he was saying very dumb 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 things and she she was sitting right next to him and like the range of emotions she goes through is pretty fantastic yep Uh, it's all of her reactions have been gifted and used to death but 
Uh, no, she's to me, she's a leading lady. If Kirsten Dunst is in something, I'm usually going to assume at this point she's at the helm. Uh, but no, I'm a big fan. And yeah, she's she's great in this. This is certainly an ensemble movie. And where she is like the ray of you know sunshine, for lack of a better term, because she's the only character that seems to have genuine redeeming qualities, even as funny as like Allison Janney and Ellen Barkin are. They're just, you know, old drunks. I mean, <laughs> they're products of their environment, I guess you'd say. It's a movie you watch, and at the end of it, you know, having the experience with the small towns and the small town mentality that I have had, it's a movie that when it's over, I'm like, go, Amber, you got out of there. So that's kind of a, a takeaway <laughs> I have from it. So I have a this, as I was watching this movie, it was like maybe 20, 30 minutes in, and I was not really writing down many notes. Like I realized, oh, it's going to be one of those where Contrarian's Corner is going to be a lot of what my real thoughts are <laughs> in real talk, except that... It's kind of a the way the movie's structured, too. It's also why we don't do documentaries, because like it, the plot of this movie, too, and the way the movie's paced isn't really conducive to how we structure Contrarian's Corner. So that's kind of what I was thinking going through it as well, of like, we're going to have to just kind of you know, find certain things to fixate on and find ways to make topics out of them. And I'm glad we were able to do so because at one point I was kind of like, man, how are we going to do this? <laughs> I, I wasn't too worried about that because thankfully the things that happen in the movie are entertaining enough. I was more concerned of like, man, I'm going to get to real talk and it's going to be not a whole lot of new stuff because my new, you know, my thoughts in the movie are basically what I think is first corner, you know, toned down. <laughs> but I really... Mm. I really like it. I and I think that in addition to being really funny, it is really bold. And you know what I was and this I wrote down. This movie succeeds where pre-persuasion failed. Because pre-persuasion was also bold in the things that it was trying to do. And uh this is also much much funnier than pretty persuasion. Yes. But I'm, but you know, it's like, would I find pre-persuasion funnier if if it had not gone? To, it's not even the pre-persuasion goes too far. I think that both movies go pretty far when it comes to you know the things that they're trying to make fun of or the things yeah. that they're attacking. But it's there's just some things that are a lot touchier than others, and this movie goes to pretty dark places. Or, you know, the, the, this movie talks about eating disorders and. Uh, <laughs> As I constantly mentioned during the corner, there's a pedophile that's I found really funny. John Doe, his last name spelled D-O-U-G-H. Yes. Uh, I mean that's serious shit, but pre-persuasion got to the point. I mean, you can listen to the episode if you want to hear us elaborate on why it ultimately kind of grossed us out. But there's a difference in the way that pre-persuasion treats its protagonists. Uh you know, they they made a movie about sexualizing young women, young girls, and mm -hmm. uh, in criticizing that behavior, they also not necessarily validated it, but but gave it a little bit of ammunition, right? Because these these older gross men see these girls as these young teenage girls as vixens, and and then at the end of the movie, it's revealed that oh well. Our protagonist, this young girl, 
she is kind of like a mastermind and in in a way she's almost as bad or maybe just as bad as as the men believe her to be and that is you know pretty thorny and like i said we talked about it at length on that episode but here i think that they just managed to for all the criticisms it throws to you know at its targets it doesn't cross certain lines and so the there is a clear sexualization of young women in this movie i mean that's what the the pageant is about in a way right uh Mm -hmm. but they never make it to where those girls are using their sexuality in a way that would like creep me out the closest you come you get to it is the the subplot about amy adams being pregnant and it's like oh well she's having sex with her boyfriend who's also there's also the the dance number they have at the pageant it's so funny they have like those step stools that they're dancing with and they were painted right before the pageant and they're still wet. So what happens is they dance and do their routine and they're just getting more and more covered with paint. But and it's not in like a sexual way or anything. It's just it's funny. It's just like very easy. That's the type of shit you would see in a Chaplin movie. Just really easy, but effective and very funny comedy. Of course, and you do have the close up to the the pedophile judge with his cigarette. Yes, and he is really yeah. into it. And that's fine. That's funny. See, that's, and the, that's the difference. He has the Little Miss Sunshine spot too. After that, where he starts just <laughs> very enthusiastically clapping yep. when it's over. Yep. Uh, I think that that is really the key. And I, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a like beat by beat comparison with pre-persuasion, but that is that character. You know, I, I talked about him a lot in Katrina's Corner, and I really do think that is it's just it just works so well. And you know, if you don't find him funny, if if that turns you off the movie, I get it because it is. It's tricky. You're talking about the idea that, you know, this man likes young girls and then you put him in the as the judge of this beauty pageant and the movie constantly goes to him for comedy. It's just it's not even a, a throwaway joke. It's just a constant. If, I, if somebody said that that was tasteless. I, I I can see the argument, but I also I have to try to understand why I find it funny. You know, <laughs> I know I find it funny because I kept laughing, and I just all I can come up with is just it doesn't cross a line that pre-persuasion seemed to cross. They never get to a point where you see him actively try to have sex or, or you know have any sort of contact with the with the girls, and maybe that's it. I mean, that's part of it. it, it there's no. He doesn't talk to any of the characters outside of that one scene where the judges are asking him questions. He doesn't interact with any of them. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's like there, the thought of it is looming, but there's no direct like confrontation with it. And it's, you know, I think maybe if you had had somebody like uh, the Denise Richards character trying to seduce him to get uh, points, maybe that would have felt oh, like yeah. it was off that would have been trash yeah but even then i mean i don't know you know it's it's just i i can't really put my finger on it right now thinking about you know what happens in the movie i, I can just tell you that it never felt like it went that far too far to where it just it would just put me off at this point i just found it funny i mean even if i was i mean why why would i want to be you know i i don't get off on that kind of thing and that's really why you're asking right Someone say something? The other targets, I mean, are, are a lot easier to deal with. Like, I don't mind people making fun of, of 
obsessive religion and you know denise richards dancing with a crucified jesus it's just funny but i also i get it making fun of gun nuts yeah gun nuts deserve to be made fun of so that's fine with me yeah but i can see how like i mean okay if you if you like guns the way that the people in this movie do and you take offense to that it's like whatever uh if you are deeply religious then I understand how seeing Denise Richards dancing with Jesus might be a bit too much. Again, reader, I laughed. I mean, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the movie's not making fun of Jesus. It's making fun of the way that people use religion to boost themselves. And she's just playing to her audience there. That's the joke. Or to make themselves seem like better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's... It has nothing to do with with religion in a way. It's, it's, it has everything to do with the people that use religion for uh, shady personal gain. Personal gain, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's you know, and that's that's worth making fun of. So I'm I'm okay with that. But I can see. I mean, what do you think, Alex? I mean, as far as the the, the reception, is it is it just that it was too much? I'm trying to remember. I don't remember what the the Rotten Tomatoes score was for Bachelorette. Because that's another movie that, you know, can be judged as too harsh in certain aspects. Nowhere near as harsh yeah, as just, this movie, though. It's, uh, I've come to accept that at this point in my life that I love this movie, but it's just not going to be for everyone. Uh, Bachelorette actually has a higher rating, uh, 56% on Rotten Tomatoes with more reviews. But that's still low. In my estimation, you know what I mean? Like, you watch, this is what we talk about the show all the time. You see that that score, and you decide that it's not even worth giving this movie a shot. Yeah. 56%, 48%. Okay, well, that's middle of the road. Who gives a shit? And I think it's, I find it really funny. I think a lot of people would find it really funny if it doesn't offend your sensibilities. Despite it being a critical and commercial failure, Film has gained fans over time and, regard- and is regarded as a cult film. 2011, Allison Janney stated she is approached by more fans of this film than for her Emmy Award winning tenure on the West Wing. <laughs> uh, I mentioned the uh, first bout of streaming for it in 2019. It attracted retrospective praise from the likes of The Independent, The Guardian, Teen Vogue, The New Yorker, and E! News. The New Yorker's Jaya... Tolentino credited the movie's quote transformation from flop to quote venerated artifact of Y2K camp to its slow discovery on VHS and DVD by teenage girls who identified with its truthfulness and particular brand of dark comedy. Tolentino summed up the movie as offensive for sure, completely awful really, and possibly deadly. It's also irreplaceable, hilarious, surprisingly tender, and lavishly, magnificently absurd. The Guardian praised the film's vicious indecency, describing it as trashy, wonderful, endlessly quotable, and 20 years ahead of its time. Adam White further praised the movie's radical departure from lighthearted teen movies in the late 90s, stating that it was made for a generation of freaks and outsiders whose ambitions, oddities, queerness, and poverty were otherwise ignored by anything similarly mainstream or funny. He added that it was acidic and truthful about beauty, class, and ambition, satirized all-American moralism, and blew up Denise Richards, then fresh from wild things as she rode a giant papier-mâché swan. (laughs) Alex Zaragoza of Teen Vogue echoed 
Other reviews and praising that the movies appeal to outsiders and misfits and departing from the teen rom-com tropes of other movies released that year, like 10 Things I Hate About You. And uh, as I mentioned, she's all that. Zaragoza stated that the girls in Drop Dead Gorgeous don't yearn to land their respective dream boy. They're too busy trying not to get capped by a crazy mother-daughter duo and striving to break out of the confines of their small town. He further described it as wild, absurdly portrayed story that's fundamentally about small-town struggles and overcoming the adversity of being born into a class that lacks opportunities to ultimately earn the life you've dreamed of for yourself. Its unabashed weirdness and mockumentary-style filmmaking make it an immediate cult classic. So that's kind of... If someone criticized it, or if someone would tell me this movie is cynical or mean-spirited in, in you know its outlook... I would ask if they've ever lived in a small town similar to something like this. Cause I have, and those by nature are typically mean spirited in the way people treat each other. And just like the, everyone knows everyone's business type of affair and, um, the gossiping nature and the desire for your kid to do better, you know, and, I'm not saying every small town in America is like that, but by and large, it's a deadly cycle and it is a cynical one as well. So for a movie like this to be made and put that on display, I think, yeah, good. Be cynical. Uh, I I don't think it's mean spirited. I don't think it's what's the word that was used earlier. Off color is probably where I'd go to describe it, but tasteless. It's not tasteless. Movies aren't real life, but this movie takes real life aspects and ideas that are real and turns them into a movie and makes them insanely silly and, you know, turns them up to the most extreme degrees. I appreciate that. I do like that the biggest truth the movie drops is not said enough, I think, (laughs) in mainstream movies. And that is when uh, Allison Janney tells Kirsten Dunst that, she got a happy ending, not because she's a good person, but because she got lucky. So mm-hmm. she needs to enjoy it. And that's 100% true. And it's refreshing, right? Because, I mean, this movie is too smart. And to, again, it would not be consistent at all if it tried to sell you uh, the triumph of the Kirsten Dunst character as something that is a consequence of her being a good person. That would be, that would be too sweet of a conclusion too saccharine. Like you can read into that, that she's the only one who didn't like try to cut corners and made out. Okay. But it really is just, that's the comedy in it all. Mm -hmm. Most of her success comes from Kirstie Alley, just trying to cut her legs off. (laughs) Yes. It's uh, the screenplay throws that idea in and then instantly Alison Jenny undercuts it and says, no, (laughs) the way the life works is not that you get rewarded for being worthy of rewards. The way life works is sometimes, a lot of times, the wrong people, the bad people win. And if you're a good person that wins, enjoy it, because who knows how long it's going to last. <laughs> it's great. It's it's. We need more of that, or, or at least, I, I mean, I'm not Realism. advocating. Yeah, it, or, uh, because it's, it's not the norm. That's the mm-hmm. thing. You know, most movies will try to sell you the, the fantasy that... If you work real hard and say your prayers and take your vitamins, brother, you, you know, mm-hmm. everything's going to work out all right. Hey, hey, I got second runner-up. I got second place. Third. Huh? Third. Yeah, I got Bye. Honestly, I think the most, oh, fuck, like, joke in the movie, and it was one I completely forgot about, is the 
title card of what happens to Amy Adams at the end that she ends up becoming <laughs> a stripper and then she was last heard of out of the Philippines and if anyone has any information <laughs> to contact this number <laughs> that was fucking heavy um dude we we talked about in the first half i think it was both uh our real thoughts on the will sasso character and like well let, let's talk about it without trying to be funny because yeah that's something else that i i knew that it was that it was tricky as it was happening but like i said in the corner i'm not going to lie to you and tell you that i didn't laugh dude i i think one of my top laughs in the movie is when he gets stuck in the car door and they have that caption at the bottom about the purpose of a documentary <laughs> crew is not to interfere with its subjects because he's just yelling for help at the documentary crew. Cause you know, that's how <laughs> you watch any like nature documentaries and you know, they, they right. don't s- stop. Like it, they don't help a baby back to its mom. And they explain that's why <laughs> that shit is funny. I thought you were going to say that, uh, you see the kids teasing him and, uh, he gets a hold like, of oh, one of them, though. Yes. And yeah. he's eating his cotton candy. <laughs> Dude, so good. I guess my thought is, in the end, and this kind of reiterates what I said in the first half, it feels in line and tone with this movie. And to me, it's not particularly jarring or uh, it's not a hard left, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, because I was also trying to to think if I was, if it was wrong of me to laugh at that stuff, you know, and I don't hold universal truth. Maybe it is, <laughs> but I can tell you that I was trying to be mindful of how much of it is that, well, growing up, you know, I could be somewhat desensitized to how offensive this could be because I grew up and you grew up in an environment where this type of joke was just normal. And so so that might have made us desensitize a little bit, maybe. But I also know that there are times where I watch this type of movies from this type of air, like a 90s comedy or whatever, and I will be like, oh, that's just it'll make me cringe. So mm-hmm. so that that's that's the that's the task, right? Like why why do I cringe with ones and why do I laugh with others? And of course the the simplest answer is like, oh well, because some are funny and some are not. And so yeah. does the fact when it's funny, does it overcome or mitigate the offensive nature of it you know and because in the end i don't want to offend anyone right but like i don't believe in punching down right i i think that that's that's kind of uh that's where like the comedy feels unnecessary so if you're gonna make a movie where you're just making fun of somebody that is uh mentally challenged well that's just like why are you even doing that right mm-hmm. but if you if you have a character that is mentally challenged and you have jokes at their expense in the same way that you're having jokes at the expense of every other character in the movie, then it feels like it's just a comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you're saying, Julio. Uh, and it, this goes beyond Drop Dead Gorgeous. I mean, you, there's people that may have not seen this movie that are listening to this right now and just they're like, well, that doesn't sound like it's for me. And, you know, God bless you. And I'm not going to tell you how to feel and how not to feel. Uh, I know for me personally and kind of how I in general view comedy in in a way of I typically go about nothing's off limits. You know, I can't like Norm Macdonald's jokes about 9-11. I can watch those a a million times and they make me laugh every single time. So I can't do that and then try to take 
personally, the way I feel is I can't do that and then try to take the high ground with other things. So for me personally, it's, um, it's what it always boils down to. I, I laughed. I find it funny the way this movie portrays their characters and the way they respond to one another and whatnot. Uh, but if that's not for someone else, then I'm certainly not, I'm not going to tell you, Oh, you're ruining comedy. Cancel culture strikes again. You know, that's, that's just beauty is in the eye of the beer holder, as they say. <laughs> I, I would add also that, uh, well, two things. One is that the the characterization of the Will Sasso character is pretty sweet overall. So I think that that also adds to, like, diffuses, at least for someone like me, it diffuses some of the potential tension, right? Because I don't feel like the movie doesn't like this character. Uh, I think that <laughs> when you first meet him and he's just teasing uh, his brother as his brother's trying to give an interview, and he's just like, messing with him and slapping him and all that stuff. Like I found that funny. And, and honestly, I didn't even realize that he was supposed to be mentally challenged until later in the movie when somebody brings it up. Like at first I thought it was, I thought they were just like two redneck brothers and yeah. that was, you know, their interaction. So I think that's to the movie's credit, you know, that they, it's not like they, they lean into it right from the beginning. So that that's, I think that that's part of it. And then the other thing is just that I, it is like, what is it saying? And when you compare it to what what it's saying about other characters in the movie, I think that's what carries more weight, right? Like, the movie doesn't condemn the Will Sasso character, but it does condemn a lot of the people that interact with him. And that's that's important, you know? And that's, that's something that, of course, if you're you find the whole thing offensive, then you're not even going to get to that level, and that's fine, you know? That's, again, it's not for everybody. But, yeah, I mean, I... I I watched it. I laughed. I, I had a good time. I thought Will Sasso was really good in it. I completely understand why, if you were to make that movie today, you probably would just get rid of that character, not have it, maybe make it slightly, you know, he, he the guy can still have a brother that is maybe not that smart, but not take it to that level to where it seems like you could be making fun of mentally challenged people. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's a movie from 1999 and I... It's not one of the things that would trigger a, a strong reaction from me. I I can see how it could for some other people. Just like a lot of the other things that are tackled in this movie could provoke a, a reaction that's negative from somebody just because they're in the movie and it's a movie that's on the surface not taking them seriously. That's fine. And, it, and going back to its score, I think that that's part of why it's not, uh, you know, it wasn't well received at first. It, and... I think it's interesting that it's been reclaimed, I guess, since it was streaming Hulu in a way, because you would think that, you know, there's a good chance that it, it would just gotten canceled <laughs> instead. Yeah. But I guess enough people didn't care. Do you think that most people would say that teenage beauty pageants are a good idea? Oh, yeah, sure. I know what some of your big city no bra wearing hairy legged women libbers might say. Kiersey Alley. Very, very funny in this. Yes. And like I mentioned in the first half, we have a bit of experience with her here on The Contrarians. She said that Frances McDormand and Fargo was like, that's where she got her voice cadence and really, yeah, like mannerisms from. And that's so awesome. I, I, yeah, I think it worked out really well. And yeah, she's like, there's little things in this too that aren't her big like monologues that she gets when they're setting up for the first days of the pageant and the wrestling teams there there's the one boy that walks up and she just like <laughs> stares at him 
very lustfully. That that's really funny. And yeah, she has all those expressions about God and being blessed and the pageant themes. They're yep. all about America. And she <laughs> just talks about it's a gift from God that yep. she thinks of these things. Yeah. Uh, that is something that, that, that surprised me in the movie because given how the movie basically opens with her, I thought that she was going to be the through line. Uh, but no, there are big chunks of the movie where she's not even around because in the end it's about Kirsten Dunst. But for the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought it was going to be the, the Kirstie Alley show. It works out. I mean, you know, every every scene she's in, she's she's great. This was just like they caught all these people at the right time to put together this really funky movie. And I think it just it, it couldn't have really worked better. I, I do kind of trail off mentally when it gets to the part where they leave uh, Mount Rose. Because I, I, like I said, yep. I use the expression "the sandbox" in the first half. Like I, I kind of liked the idea of the Sim City, where all these people are, and you know they never leave. So when they do leave, I, my mind starts to wander. Um, oh, I the, agree a hundred percent. Oh, okay. The, yeah, no, the payoff, that's uh, now that we're in real talk. I can. That's the one thing where I'm going to differ uh, from my contrarian's corner position. I. I think they, I mean, they didn't blow it in the way that, uh, okay, by the time that you listen to this, if you're a patron, you already listened to, hopefully, you already listened to our Black Christmas 2006 mm-hmm. episode. But that movie blows it <laughs> with the last 15 minutes or so where you're like, why didn't it end already? Uh, this one, I had that feeling of like, hey, the movie's over. Why are we still going? Uh, they don't blow it, but I was just, I didn't need it. And yes, I like Nora Dunn. I like, uh, what's the other actress? Mo Gaffney. Mo Gaffney. Yeah, I like Mo Gaffney. I, I, I think that a lot of the stuff that happens is funny in the when they go to state and then they go to nationals. I laughed. I kept laughing. But I, it was that sense of the movie would be better if it just ends when Denise Richards dies. That's the end of the story. Yeah, she dies I, and then uh, uh, Kirsten Dunn gets that, that package in the mail and she's flipping through the booklet and freaking out about That is a great line things. too. Or- yeah, the they, they're staying at the airport, Howard Johnson. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's the end of the movie. That's where it needed to end. I I didn't need everything else. As funny as it is, after. Agreed, and you know we're talking about morbid comedy here, and I I do think the ending is funny, even in twenty twenty three America. I guess you, you laugh so you don't cry, and that mm-hmm. ending sequence is obviously way more real today than ever. Um, but the fact that the payoff is so absurd that Kirstie Alley arms herself just to get revenge on this high school student and in the end just ends up making her life better. It's morbidly funny, as I said. That final shot where uh, Kirsten Dunst is at the the news studio and uh, she's talking to her co-anchor and then the lights turn off and then she looks at the camera. <laughs> yes, so breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. So good. So good. Uh, final call out before I give you my ratings, Alex, because we're talking and praising pretty much everybody in the cast. And you're right. There's no weak link. I think this is the right actress. Uh, Laurie Sinclair. I think that she is the the contestant that performs the monologue from Soylent Green. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. That's really good, too. <laughs> she, I think she has like three moments in the entire movie, right? When we first meet her. She's between two monologues. I think she says, is like maybe Macbeth or Selling Green. And then we see her when they're doing the judges are doing the interviews. And she's like, what type of tree do you want me to be? I just need a minute to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
of course, when we see her perform the Sorlin Green monologue, and it's amazing. And if I got the right actress, I don't think that she has many movies since then, but she's definitely a, a high point here. I was I was very happy whenever she was on screen. Yeah, the secondary characters are great too. That one girl who's adopted by the Asian family that's oh, obsessed dude, with Western yeah. culture. Yeah, <laughs> but they have a, like a biological daughter that they ignore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the character who does get knocked deaf, who's obsessed with sign language. That yep. <laughs> and the the whole thing of her getting knocked deaf is literally one line of dialogue. Where I think it's Kirsten Dunst is like, "Oh, the accident knocked her deaf," and then all the girls were like, "Oh, that's great!" Because you know, all she wanted to do was sign. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all really funny and all characters that I was always happy whenever they came back on. Because you just reminded me, yeah, the, the Asian parents, the immigrants. <laughs> They, I mean, you see them at the beginning, and then they're really gone for most of the movie, but then they show up again at the end, and it's really funny. And they're like the stage parents that are sitting there, like, miming the dance moves that yep. their, their daughter's <laughs> supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, all right, all right. Well, uh, clearly, we're very high on this movie. Big time. So, uh, what is your score? I ended up giving it four and a half stars on Letterboxd, which would translate not to an A+, but a dead center A+. Uh, I I just think, you know, I'll go back to what you and I say all the time on here. For what this wants to be, it'd be hard for it to be much better. We both just mentioned the part of the movie that doesn't completely lose me, but my mind starts to wander because where we were before was so much fun. Um, but I have a hard time thinking for what this movie's trying to be, how it could be much better. And because of that, I give this movie an A. Julio, what are you landing on? Exactly four and a half stars as well. This was five stars for the longest time and it's just that that dip at the end that bothers me a little bit it bothers me because he was perfect before that <laughs> and, and after that it's just you don't need it. it it was you had the perfect movie it would have been like right under 90 minutes and really funny and really punchy and and i think as as fun as it is to see uh kirsten dunst as an anchor it's even more fun i think to just fade to black after she receives that that pamphlet and she's really excited about the hotel that she's gonna stay at <laughs> it's just uh and you're still saying the same thing i think and and i want to say just to make it clear because i didn't really say it here but everything i said about denise richards in Contreras corner and like it holds for real talk i i thought she was amazing and it's not what I expected. I, I I think that it's either I completely underestimated her as an actress based on the few things I've seen her in, uh, or this director and the screenplay unlocked just the right thing in her to where this performance is you know so much better than the other stuff that she's done. But uh, you know I'll grant you that I haven't seen a lot of her movies. I have more blind spots with her than I do with Kirsten Dunst. What kind of tree would you be? One with strong roots in a community like Mount Rose, a solid Christian trunk, and long leafy branches to provide shade for handicapped kids on a hot summer day. All right, that is Drop Dead Gorgeous. Jamie, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We saw in Letterboxd you gave it four stars. Uh, we didn't see a, an actual review, though. So if you want to reach out and let us know how our thoughts compare to yours, we can definitely circle back to it. But thank you deeply for bringing this across uh, our desk and happy to add it to contrarians canon to the catalog now julio what is to come next 
Well, Alex, we close 2023 with Kirsten Dunst and Denise Richards. We're going to open 2024 with Denzel Washington and John Lithgow. My God. (laughs) This is the movie Ricochet from 1991, demanded slash requested by patron and very good friend of the show, Eddie Strait, exercising his power on the main feed for the first time. And uh, yeah. We are here for it. So it's uh, fresh on the tomato meter. So we'll be saying some mean things about it. Never seen it. I don't think you've seen it before either. Right, Alex? Back row blind, baby. All right, let's do it. Ricochet. Watch it if you haven't. Rewatch it if you have. So you're ready for the next episode. <laughs> uh, but that's it. We're done here, Alex. So uh, suck in the belly, tuck in the tush, and uh, take us out of here. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rutgeeser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast Nación Combi about Peruvian current affairs and Marginal about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the Contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.